Welcome to another message from Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. You can find more about us by visiting gracewaydc.com or find Graceway DC on social media. What a privilege to be here with you today, and I am thrilled to be a part of this great church and what God is doing. Thank you for each of your witnesses and testimonies this week as we're working on Sober October, Uh, not necessarily just pushing away from alcohol, which is good, uh, but actually being sober of the situation around us that uh, all of humanity needs an example of Jesus Christ and heaven and hell are real and Christ died to save everyone. We're in a series as we study the book of uh, the the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph, who was one of the greatest difference makers the world has ever seen. And God used this man, this man that was not really respected by his own family. And God loves to take the little things of life and of society and of this this world and do the greatest wonders and miracles. So first we saw uh, God's dream was the call from distraction into God's purpose. And then second, we saw that uh, the pit or disappointment led to God's plan. Then number three, duty uh, taught God's process of prosperity as, as Joseph served even as a slave. And then uh, we talked about devoted desires, and that is what teaches us purity in everyday life. As a matter of fact, we did two sermons uh, on devoting our desire, which is so absolutely foundational. Uh, Last week, we looked at the dungeon, and in the dungeon of disappointment, Joseph learned patience. Now, today, Joseph will learn that by hearing, believing, and proving God's specific promise, he will reach his divine destiny. And so that's our title today, Divine Destiny. Destiny has a, an attractive ring to it. And divine destiny, God's plan, God's purpose, or maybe God's destination for us should be very invoking and drawing us in. But it all hinges on trusting while being tested. Can you trust during the test? Now, there are three great errors that you will struggle with, I will struggle with. The first one, when it comes to the Word of God, and that's really what we're going to be talking about, the Bible, the Word of God, the first error is that of the rote reader. That is, you'll be faithful to read the Bible, but it's going to be somewhat mechanical, and way down inside of you, you wouldn't necessarily say this, but inside of you, you kind of believe that God really doesn't speak to people anymore. I'm going to read. I'm going to read the assigned chapters, but I don't really expect to see anything, to hear anything, to read anything personal. That's the rote reader. The second error is that of the righteous ruler. And the righteous ruler is the mandator, the mandator. And and that idea is that God only speaks through the pastor. And uh, that's very, very dangerous, very dangerous. Uh, I do believe that any good leader or every good leader should be accused of being a dictator, but should never be guilty of it. If you're not accused of being a dictator, then you're probably not leading. But if you are guilty of it, you're probably leading people to their own doom and your own, uh, their own doom and your own help. Now, the third error is that of a roving revelator, roving revelator. And that is you're constantly moving. You're not submitted to the word of God or to the church of God or, or really to much of anything. Um, but you're always seeking a personal word or some practical help. Now, depending on your background and your personality, you will be subject to one of these three. Now, these three are extreme, but I want to give your 
I want you to give your neighbor a quick quiz. Which of the three would you probably be subject to or would try to get into your heart? So go ahead and give your neighbor a quiz real quick, if you would, and make a little noise and ask them, which one would it be? The rote reader, mechanical, the righteous ruler, the mandator, or the roving revelator, constantly moving, unsubmitted, uncommitted. Yeah. I don't know. Let's see here. And with that, let's take our Bibles and let's go to Psalm 105. Honestly, I believe that um, all humanity is very vulnerable, and each of us could fall prey uh, to any number of errors, and I could fall prey to any number of these errors. There's something very interesting in Psalm 105, and Psalm 105 is similar to Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, and that it names several uh, great um, uh, leaders and uh, contributors to the will of God. But in verse number 17, it brings up Joseph. So Psalms 105 and verse number 17, he sent a man before them, even who? All right, a little bit louder. Even who? Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. I think sometimes we overlook the fact that Joseph went through pain. He was tortured. He, he was in agony. Verse number 19, and this will be our real text, so I want you to make a little dot or a star or circle. Verse number 19, until the time that his word came, that's Joseph's word, the word or the word of the Lord tried him. I'll read that again in a second. Verse number 20, the king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance. Verse 22 is a very interesting verse as well. We won't develop it much. To bind his princes at his pleasure. That is, God had placed these princes and to teach his senators wisdom, God placed the princes and the senators in these places. But he raised up a difference maker without a title, without a position, even Joseph, and he was to bind them, that is to restrain them and to direct them. And that's what God wants to do through you and through me. He wants to reveal his righteousness. He wants to accomplish his will. One more time, verse number 19, until the time that his word, Joseph's word came, the word of the Lord tried him. Father, we come before you in desperate need, and we are unashamed to say we are completely dependent upon you. Father, lead us, and Lord, guide us. Show us your will. Show us your way. And Lord, be exalted uh, in our minds, in our hearts, and before our assembly. Lord, I thank you so much for Graceway Baptist Church and these wonderful disciples of the truth that are living for you. And I'm so thankful for the honor they bestowed upon me. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak to every single person here, that we could hear your word and know your way. And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, please know this. When God wants to do something, he uses his word. He speaks the truth. Genesis 1 and verse number 3, And God said, Let there be light. And, say it with me, there was light. Genesis 1 and verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, the beast of the earth after his kind, and say it, and it was so. God spoke it. You can't speak without understanding. That is intelligible words without understanding. And that's what God has done. 
Genesis 1, 26 and 27, a verse that we need to get back to more often in our society. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Let's say that last part together. Male and female created he them. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number three, it further describes how God does things through his word. Words are so very important. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were made of things which do appear. John 1 and verse 1 through 5, and these are all showing us the power of the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. This is the power and the wonder of the word of God. God, when he wants to do something, uses his word. So God and his word are one, and he makes everything through his word. And so naturally, as the devil would assault and attack attack God, which he cannot do, would attempt to assault and attack the very word of God. The first temptation was in the garden. And the devil came to the woman and said, Yea, hath God said? Which is basically, did God really say this? The devil came to Jesus in Matthew chapter number four and basically gave the same three temptations that he gave to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say it? Is his word really that strong? And I think every temptation that we struggle and face with, are faced with in our daily life, comes down to that, the word of God. Does God have a word? Do I have a word? Can I trust it? Should I follow it or not? Now, it's interesting. Psalms 105 in verse number 19 has the word word twice in the verse, which is accurate translation. But if we were reading it in Hebrew, there would be two different words used for the word word. The first one is the word debar. Let's practice Hebrew and go ahead and say that word, debar, all right? And it means word. (laughs) It means a spoken word. It means a word that you would utter. The second Hebrew word is the word imra. Well, I mispronounced that. Imra, imra. Go ahead and say that Hebrew word, imra. And imra means the spoken word, the written word. More accurately, the very word, the literal word of God. Uh, It's very similar to the Greek words, uh, rhema and logos. And those two words uh, speak of the written word of God, the logos, and, and the rhema, the spoken word of God. And God uses his word to direct and to create. Now, let me give you an example of God's literal word or the Hebrew word. Which one is it? Imra, that's correct, Imra. Psalms 12, verses 6 and 7, you know this word, uh, this verse, the words of the Lord are pure words, if we're reading 
Hebrew, it'd be Imra, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. I want you to notice that God's word and purified are connected. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And God is using his word, and his word is purified, refined. It means solid, tested, tried, proven. means you can count on it. means you can bank on it. Let me give you another one. Psalms 18 and verse number 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. Now again, that's God's specific word. That word, Imra. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. Notice that trusting and tried and the word of the Lord are connected. In Psalms 119 in verse number 11, by the way, that word Imra is mentioned 37 times in the Bible, 37 times. Most of them are in Psalms 119. Um, The word Debar is mentioned 1,441 times. It's it's all over the place, and it's it's a broader term that uh, we would use today. Uh, Joseph's word, his word, my word against your word, this sort of thing. Psalms 119, verse number 11. Let's say that nice and strong, nice and loud like we mean it. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So God's word is what we've got to take into our very heart and our soul. So this, his word is associated with testing and purifying. See, testing is to refine, to prove, and sometimes to prune prune away some things in our lives that shouldn't be there. Job said this in chapter 23, verses um, 1 through 12, but 12 specifically, you know what? I want to read that whole text. I was so blessed with Brother Kevin just reading the word. Wasn't that good? Oh, my goodness. So I want to join him. Um, Job 23. I hadn't intended this, but it's, it's a beautiful poem we should see. Job 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him that I might come even to his seat. He's speaking of God, his authority. I would order my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him, so should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. Have you ever felt like that? You're looking for God. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. Verse 10, you've probably memorized this. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath what? Tried me. I shall come forth as gold. See, God asks us to go through the test before the glory. We must be tried before the gold. Gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. 
Verse 12, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. We're talking about the word of God. Now, let's come back to Joseph here for a moment. Of course, that was Job there that had been tried, I guess, more than any other man except for the Lord Jesus Christ. But but God purified him and restored him and developed him. And God is going to test Job's character until the destination of his dream is received. And God is going to test each one of his disciples. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I'm a Christian and I want to be a good disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you raise your hand? See, what that means, and that's the right choice, is we have to go through some trials We have to go through some testings until our destination comes. Joseph had received a word from the Lord. That is a biblical term. He had received a dream way back from his father's house. Now, it didn't say that his father and mother and brothers would bow down to him. We can go back and look at it. It said his brother's sheaves would bow down to his sheave and the sun, moon, and stars, and it was that allegory. So he didn't quite understand it all. His dad interpreted and said, hey, son, should uh, your father and mother and brothers bow down to you? And that was a good question for a teenage boy. (laughs) And then he's been going along, and so Brother Kevin read the point where he comes to the age of about 30 years old. And again, he's given... Two more dreams. Now, this time, he didn't dream them, uh, but the uh, the butler and, and the baker come to him, and they're sad in the dungeon. I, I find that interesting in the text. One morning, they're sad. Joseph had command of his emotions, and he couldn't understand. How can you guys be sad? <laughs> We're in the dungeon, man. <laughs> And they they give his dreams, and the first one is a good thing. You're going to be promoted. You're going to be restored. And the second one is not so good. You're going to be hanged, and the birds are going to eat your flesh. And it's a rough deal. Oh, and Joseph says, remember me when you come into the king's presence. But he forgot. And the text says it was two full years Interesting, it didn't just say two years. I mean, the Bible is written very, very concise, but it says two full years. That means Joseph is waiting in the dungeon four years. Not four years, but years and years. And you are going to say, how long can this last? Because God's word comes and it tries and Psalms 105, 19, until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. See, God directs his people. God has directed me through his word, the very word of God. And God speaks and his word goes forth. Now, some people, in trying to say, We believe the word of God and take it as a completed text and all that God wants to show us. And that is absolutely true. It is 100% true. I believe the word of God. I believe it. Every word. I take it very literal. But there is a danger in thinking that God is done speaking. And that danger leads you to the place where God's word is holy and reverent and wonderful, and then I'm just going to do my own thing because God's all done. God is not done. God is still speaking. I have heard his voice in my heart, and many others have heard his voice. Now, I want to give you three points, and I want you to hold on to these three points. You must understand these three points when it comes to the word of God and the word that he speaks into your heart. Now, he often, most likely, will speak into your heart and into your life through the very pages of the Word of God as you devote your time, and uh, whether that's in a a sermon or a testimony or uh, somebody reciting a memory verse or uh, in your um, sacred time before the Lord in the morning, uh, 
sometime. Uh, but you need to understand point number one, it's only a part of God's plan. See, there's a danger in thinking, and it's often with leaders, that I have got a part of God's plan, and my part becomes the whole part. And that's not true. I remember when my dad received his call from the Lord to go to New Guinea. I was still in high school and planning a career like uh, many do. And the Lord just upended our family. And my dad, at 49 years old, uh, stood up in front of the church and said, I believe, I know that God has called me and my family to go to New Guinea as missionaries. And people said, well, how long? And he said, well, I don't know, but I assume it's till we can't stay there any longer. And that was true. They stayed for, my parents stayed for 25 years there in New Guinea. And it was, it was wonderful. But, you know, we were only part of the calling. We were one family of nine that had been called that year. We were the only family that we knew of in our church. But there were eight other families scattered throughout the United States that were called at the same time, and we all went to the same tribe, the Wiru tribe, in the highlands, the southern highlands of New Guinea. And we arrived there, and in a few years, the Lord had planted 51 different churches throughout that tribe. It's an amazing thing. And God used each one of the different men's backgrounds and the family's strengths to do different things. There was a, a Marine there. And uh, that Marine, man, he was all over the place. There was no challenge that was too tough. I mean, he, he was just going at it. Now, my dad wasn't the Marine. We were not the Marine family. Dad was an electrical engineer and a draftsman. So he would draw out these plans and create plans for the different mission stations, the nine different stations uh, throughout the tribe. And different people had all these different talents. We had one guy, really intelligent guy, and he was a linguist, and he started working on some translations and all the, it was an amazing thing. But remember this, it's only a part of God's plan. First Corinthians chapter 13 deals with the supernatural element and elements of the word of God and God's speaking and 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 9 says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. It's just a part. It's like a slice of bread. It's not the whole loaf. It's just one piece. So turn to your neighbor and say, you're not the whole loaf. You're just a slice, all right? You're not the whole loaf. <laughs> you're not the whole package. Yeah, you're just a little piece of what God is doing. You're a piece of the puzzle, and you're not the whole picture. Now look at the very next verse, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And it's speaking of the revelation of God, the very word of God. So God was speaking to Joseph, and he didn't have all this scripture. He didn't have a complete Bible. He just had a part. He just had a little thing. And God did wonders, and God did uh, miracles amongst so many people all through the Bible. It's pages and pages of these wonderful stories. I believe them. I follow them. But God's not done speaking. That's one extreme. Oh, God's all done. And then the book kind of just gets dry. And the Christian has a tendency to just get a little worldly and not be so spiritually attuned. The other extreme is on the far other side. They're not believing the word. They're not subject to the word. And their antennas are up, their spiritual antennas are up, and they're always looking for a word from someplace, somewhere. And they always are going to Area 51 and looking for things and all over the place. And those are two extremes. And we all kind of vacillate back and forth in there. And there's a little bit of truth in all these things. So number one, it's only a part and God is working. Look at verse number 11, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. 
When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That is talking about coming to maturity. And it is a very good example of the church coming to maturity and coming to the finished revelation of the very word of God, the Bible. But realize this, that as God leads you and God directs you, it's only a part of God's plan. And there's somebody else there. I think it's a great testimony of, of the video you played and all of you speaking such honorable, wonderful things about me. Do you know there's another side there? No, okay, we're not talking about that. But thank you for that. But the truth is this, that I'm just a part. And each one of us must play their individual part. It's only a part of God's plan. Number two, it must be proven by God's people. It's only a part. And number two, it must be proven by God's people and God's word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it deals specifically with this. Do you like the word of God? Do you like the Bible? And I want to show you verse number 19. It says this, quench not the spirit. Now, quench is like there's a fire and you, you use a, a snuffer on a candle. You, you quench, you put it out to put out something that's burning, that's something alive. And the spirit of God is it's like a candle. Remember Acts chapter 2 and uh, the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church and it, God showed that beautiful illustration and recorded it for us. It was like a candle or cloven tongue on, on their heads. It was like a fire there. And, and we really can't understand it all. But basically, the, the church was alive. The church was aflame. And, and God will inflame us in a good way with, with righteous and holy desires, with visions of what God can and will do. And we're not to snuff those out and quench those and get embarrassed about that or see some weirdo doing something silly and crazy that's not of God. And we're like, okay, well, I'm never going to do that. But look at the next verse, verse number 20. Despise not prophesyings. That means don't hate when somebody is foretelling or forthtelling. Now, we all have a desire to know what God is doing, and God wants to show it to us. And that's why there's all these fortune tellers and tarot card businesses all over the place as you see them driving around. And God wants to reveal, but he reveals through his word and through his submitted followers. Now, look what it says right after verse number 20, verse 21. Prove all things. What's it talking about? It's talking about the prophecy. It's talking about the direction of the Spirit of God. Prove it and hold fast to that which is good. Well, what do we do with the bad? We discard it, get rid of it. it goes in the bin. Prove all things. What kind of things? The things the Spirit of God is showing us. The very Word of God the thing that God is revealing through his truth. That is, what God is showing is only a part, and it must be proven. It must be proven. Uh, verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. You know what that's saying? God is never going to lead anyone or direct anyone contrary to his holy word, the very Bible. God will never lead or direct anybody into any evil or even the appearance of evil. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 29 speaks of the controversy that had arisen in the church at Corinth. It said, let the prophets speak two or three. And then what is supposed to happen? And let the other judge. Prophecy and judging or as we're using the word proving, go hand in hand. They are together. That is, it's not we assemble as a church and check our brain at the door and just come in and it's just whatever happens. 
No, 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 no. We are to submit ourselves and God is going to lead us and show us and we are to prove all things. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 13, the first three verses, give us some very interesting direct uh, instruction. If there arise among you a what? All right, come on. That's about a quarter of us. So if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, that would be like Joseph, and give it the a sign or a wonder. Okay, so there's some supernatural element to this, or at least it appears so. Verse number two, and the sign or the wonder come to pass. Okay, so it wasn't a flop. Whoa, it happened. Therefore, uh, whereof he spoke unto thee, saying, let us go after what? Other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. In other words, if somebody arise and he speaks something and somehow he gets uh, an audience and does something quite impressive and it happens, but he's saying things contrary to the very word of God, what are we supposed to do? Let's go on to verse three. It says, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God, and here it is, proveth you. What? Is God using a false prophet? And the answer is yes. God tests and proves people through good means and bad means. Your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So God is looking for love, true love in us that is committed and submitted to him. It's not just wild. It's not just emotional. It's not just vulnerable. It's not just chasing every sort of uh, conspiracy theory or some sort of uh, spiritual uh, uh, strange element. God is saying, I want you to adhere to the truth, the revealed word of God, because God Proves you. So it's only a part of God's plan, but number two, it must be proven by God's word and God's people. Now, Romans 8 and verse number 16 says this The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. Notice that the Spirit is the Holy Spirit, it's capitalized. Beareth witness with our spirit. Now, we are body, that's how we interact with the world below us, the earth. We are soul. That is how we interact with the world within us. It's mind, will, and emotions. And we are spirit. And that is how we interact with the world above us, the spiritual element. A lost person, his spirit is cut off and dead. That's why a lot of lost people are atheists or do crazy things that don't makes sense. But when one submits to the word of God and repents of their sins and trusts the Messiah, their spirit is born again and made alive. And now they are well aware of the spiritual world. The spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And you have felt that as a follower of Christ and as a disciple, you go, that's true. That's a real Christian. Yeah, I don't know about them. That's just weird. I don't know. I, I mean, can you put your finger on it? I, I don't know. And that's that beareth witness. You know, and God supernaturally, spiritually leads and guides you. Now, I want to give you three examples of something kind of weird. True prophets. Real prophets that actually have names of the uh, books of the Bible named after them. And they gave false prophecies. Everybody's on edge. Okay, here we go. Jeremiah 35. And in Jeremiah 35, he comes to this group of people named the Rechabites. And he says to them in verses 5 and 6, he says, uh, And I set before the sons of the house of uh, the Rechabites, uh, pots full of wine and cups, and I said unto them, drink ye wine. It's an interesting verse for so sober October. Uh, verse number six. And they said, we will drink no wine. 
For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. So see the situation. Here's God's man. Um, who's God's man? Oh, Jeremiah. And he comes in and he sets wine and cups before these people, the, the Rechabites, and, and he says, drink the wine. And they say, oh, no way. Man of God, our father said not to, and we're not going to do it. Now jump down to verse number 13 and 14. I'm just dancing through this prophecy here. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will ye not receive instruction to hearken to my words, saith the Lord? And here's the illustration in verse number 14. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine are performed for performed unto this day. They drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye hearkened not unto me. Now, what is this whole illustration here in Jeremiah? You have this, this group of people called the uh, Rechabites, the Rechabites, and uh, their father, Jonadab, said, don't drink any wine. You or your sons forever. And then God's man, Jeremiah, comes and sets the wine there in the cups and says, drink the wine. And it was a test. It was a test. And it was an illustration that he would then bring to Judah, God's people, and said, listen, this group of people, they're holding to my word, they're holding to the truth, but you are not. Interesting. The man Jonah. You know the story, and that's a very special uh, book to us as a church, and to me specifically, that was my call to D.C., and that's our commission as a church. But God says to Jonah, go cry to Nineveh, and he says, um, uh, proclaim through the streets, walking through the streets, yea, 40 days, and the Lord will destroy the city. Isn't that right? So in 40 days, did God destroy the city? But he didn't say, did Jonah say 40 days and God will destroy the city if you don't repent? Did Jonah, he didn't put that little amendment in there. He just said 40 days, God's going to destroy the city. The people repented. God didn't destroy the city. You know why? God was testing as a matter of fact, that's why Jonah got so mad. And he's sitting over there on the mountain off to the side and the gourd and the worm and all that sort of stuff and the sun beating on his head. And he's mad. Jonah, why are you mad? Because God, I knew that you're filled with love and graciousness and that you would not destroy this people. You would turn, you would, they would turn to you and you would forgive them. Jonah's mad. He wanted God to destroy him. They were the enemies of Israel. Let me give you a third one, Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 38 and verse number one, the Bible says this. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. Hezekiah was the king. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Well, many of you know the story, but look at verse number five, Isaiah 38, verse five. God says to Isaiah, go say to Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. Now, these are three stories where God's word came. In Jeremiah's case, in Jonah's case, and in Isaiah's case, it was God's word that came. But it was to test, and it was to try. And God is trying us, and God is testing you and me that we are proven, that we are pruned, that we are purified as we come to our destiny. See, if Joseph had gotten out of that prison or that dungeon too early and became the ruler of Egypt too early. He wouldn't have the character to stand. He wouldn't be able to bind the princes and the senators. 
it would be like the swamp and everybody would just start working in the swamp together. And Daniel would just be part of the problem with everybody else. I believe that God is using you and me as a test, as a purifying agent. He's directing us. He's leading us. He's guiding us with his word. But don't be surprised that there's a purifying agent in it. You say, well, how do I know? Um, Emily, bring up that uh, Romans 8, verse 16 one more time. How do I know what's right and what's wrong? My father-in-law, Deborah's dad, uh, John Marshall says, you know the king is in the land when the lion lays down with the lamb. You know God is in it when there's peace, when there's harmony. And in your spirit, I know it's right. I know it's true. Now, we can't take our spirit or our feeling or our mood over the very written word of God. We're not saying that. Not saying that. But we are to be aware that the spirit is still working. See, the word of God is always subject to the God of the word. The word of God is always subject to the God of the word. In other words, it's God's word, so he can do this and do that and direct us and lead us and apply it in all these ways. So number one, it's only a part, okay? And number two, it must be proven. And now number three, I must pursue. I must pursue. It's only a part of God's plan. It must be proven by God's people, and I must pursue God's path. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 12, Apostle Paul says this, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, tried, perfect, proven, but I, and say it with me, follow after. He's saying, I follow after that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. That is, I have been captured by Christ, and I want to capture what Christ has for me. I am a sinner saved by grace, and I am to accomplish certain things. Now, there's, there's, there's two main elements. One is the majesty, the beautiful sovereignty of God, that when God speaks, it's the word of the king, and it will be, shall be, will be accomplished. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. God is sovereign. He is the ruler. He is the creator and designer. Then there's another element, and that is the responsibility of man. Now, you can get sideswiped in either one of those places, and you must realize that we have responsibility in God's word. Now, some of God's prophecies, whether we believe them, uh, disregard them, live like the devil or whatever, God's, it will come to pass. But there are other things, like Paul is saying, I am after it. I'm on the job, and I'm going to do my part. And you need to realize you have a responsibility in this life to live righteously, to turn your eyes away from lust and wickedness, to tune your ear and your heart to the very word of God, to speak the truth of God in society in a way that, that can be heard and understand. Let me show it to you in Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Nudge your neighbor and say, don't go to sleep yet. We're right here. I've got to pursue. You've got to pursue. Quit slacking on me, all right? You've got to pursue. Paul says to Timothy, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee. Daniel had a prophecy. David had a prophecy. Joseph had a prophecy. Timothy had a prophecy that thou mightest war a good warfare. Timothy, you got to be a fighter. My friends, it's a battlefield. It's a battlefield. You're going to have to fight. 
you're going to have to get serious. You can't just be laying down your arms and expect peace on the battlefield. God has called you to war a good warfare, to fight and fight to win. Well, how do I do this? Verse number 19, holding faith and what? So there's faith and there's a good conscience. Our faith must be tuned all the time back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you put your faith in the wrong thing. I do it. You'll do it. It'll happen. But you've got to retune your faith, retune your heart. I am focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved me. He bought me. And I've got to have a good conscience. Now, the conscience is a funny thing. It's a moral compass, but it can be recalibrated all the time by the surroundings in which you live just like a regular compass that is trying to find the magnetic north. But if I get too close to something electric or uh, metallic, it will it'll change that compass. And so you've got to recalibrate. Ooh, there's this presence, there's this presence. Well, in this city, I'll tell you what, my wife and I, we have had to recalibrate our moral compass, our good conscience, right and wrong and and application. There's some things that are absolutely clear and there's other forces that are pulling us. And I have to say, man, that is pulling on me hard. I've got to recalibrate. Now you never recalibrate the word of God. The Bible is to be reread, not rewritten. And that's a good rule for government too. The constitution needs to be reread, not rewritten. Holding faith and a good conscience. Now, here's the illustration. What happens when I get away from it? Which some having put away, what they put away, faith and a good conscience concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Your life, my life can be a shipwreck. Did God intend that? Was that the prophecy that was put on? No. The prophecy I was going into my destiny, I was going to do something for Christ and for God. But if I am foolish enough to lay down faith and a good conscience, I can be made shipwreck. Like who? Well, the next verse, verse number 20, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Apparently, they're blaspheming. The word of God, the spirit of God, the leading of God. We don't know all the details there. But here's what you need to do with the Word of God, and I've given this many, many times. It's six elements, and it's a good. It's illustrated well with your hand. How to get a grasp on the Word of God? Number one, easiest but not the strongest is hear. Got to hear the Word. I've got to hear it. That's what we're doing today. We're hearing the Word. Number two, I've got to read the Word. Now I've added another faculty. I'm not just hearing with my ears. I'm, I'm looking and I'm seeing it, reading with my eyes. Then I've got a study. Study is kind of like reading with a pen in your hand, taking notes and underlining stuff. The next one, and that's, that's very strong and comes quite dexterous, is I memorize, memorize. I encourage you, memorize. We've got those Bible memorization cards and some of you give hours to memorization each day. I applaud you. Memorize. But the strongest, really, is to meditate. And that's when you think about it and you chew on it. And Does that word connect to that phrase? What is that? And you get it wrong and you look at it. Oh, no, it's... Oh, and you're really thinking about it. You're meditating on it. But all of those five elements are doing what? They're pulling together. And that's the palm of your hand to obedience. See, none of these can do anything, any good at all. None of my fingers can do anything practical unless they're pulling in to the palm of my hand. And that's obedience. That's the practical application. God will not give you more revelation if you are disregarding what he's already showed you. You say, okay, now you've got the word of God and you encourage us to read it and to memorize it and hear it and all these five things and I've got to like my hands. And, and 
How does God work? Do you know anything specific? I sure do. God gave me a specific word from Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 22. When God called me to go to New Guinea and work with my father, and there it says, as a son with his father, would he serve with me in the ministry? And that's what God called me to do. And uh, my wife and I, at at the age of, uh, I think, uh, 25, we went to New Guinea and began our work, and I began serving and working with my dad, and I taught in the Bible Institute. And and then uh, one day about... uh, I guess just just shy of a year, Dad said, that area over there across the river, go over there and try to get something started. And we went over there and we built a hut, 24 by 24 grass roof and woven wild sugar cane. And uh, me and the men went down to the river and carved out these these, uh, posts out of uh, uh, these big logs that had fallen and with axes. And we stood them all up and... and, uh, we had two little kids, Marshall and Emily. They were just little tiny guys. And, and we set up our house and we lived there in that grass roof hut for about a year. It was amazing. With a big river down below, we could hear that. And uh, every morning and every night, I would go into the village street and I would preach the word of God. I, I, uh, they didn't have a lot of other artists there in town. Uh, so I set up this little, uh, chalkboard, well, a piece of paper, and I took some chalk and I would sketch out a little illustration about what I was doing. And, uh, the, the village leader, his name is Wangable. And, um, it's an interesting thing. His grandson, Wangable's grandson, is now a professional artist an amazing artist in Australia. It's an amazing thing. I taught him how with the... (laughs) Not so, not so. We were working back there in the back jungle, and then another verse came to me a year and a half later or so, and it was the verse, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. No, it's a 2,000-year-old text, but God spoke that in my heart. And one night after ministering at Wangibo's house, the chief of the village, I came out onto the precipice of the, of the uh, valley, and I was standing there, and I could see the whole valley, and the Lord was just working in my heart and using his word and directing me, I need to go to town, the, the town of Mount Hagen, and start a radio station. And so we did. And in the year 2000, we started the nation's first Christian radio station. And now it's got, it's 20 years, 22 years into it. And, and they've got five different download, downline stations. And it's an amazing thing that God has done. You say, what was that? That is God using his word to direct us. But there's a trial and there's a process. We were working there and ministering there, and uh, God was doing amazing things. And Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 2, my assistant pastor, uh, Daniel, I had led him to the Lord, baptized him in the river, and worked with him for, I don't know, 12 or 15 years or something like that. And his wife, Betty, my wife led her to the Lord, and they were assisting and helping us, managers of the radio station. I asked him to preach a Sunday school lesson through the book of Jonah. He got up and spoke the first few introductory remarks. Verse number two of chapter one, Arise, go, cry against that great city, for their wickedness has come up before me. I was sitting kind of behind him, off to this side. My wife was sitting over there. And I mean, it was like thunder in my heart. And the Lord was speaking to me, Brad, get up and go cry against that great city. I had wrestled a little bit. Maybe it was the city of entertainment, Los Angeles, or maybe the the city of finance and industry of New York City. No, it was the great city of power and politics, Washington, D.C., I asked the Lord for a confirmation of this. Lord, I don't want to be just like hearing weird things. And Lord, is this you? Very shortly after that, I was reading my proverb of the day, and I was in Proverbs chapter 8. 
and I was wrestling with how do I cry against the great city? Do I get one of those sandwich boards and stand out there? And oh man, I was like, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I, I will, I promise. Oh, please. And Proverbs chapter eight, doth not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice. Yea, she standeth in the high places, in the ways, in the paths. Unto you, O men, and unto the sons of men doth she cry. And she's crying to these people. And I believe the Lord directed us right to this place, the great city, by the main paths, by the ways, right next to Marine Barracks, Washington, where the sons of men come, 1,100 of them, every two years cycling through. And how do we cry against the great city? Now, I've never put on a sandwich board, but it's our voice collectively. See, I'm only a part. I'm only a part of the vision and the dream. I'm only a part of what God is doing in this city. And I think there's many other great voices out there. And whether they do their job or they don't, I really... I want them to do their job, but I, I, that's not in my ability. But I've got to do my job. And the plan is this, Gracefully. God is calling us to cry against the wickedness of this city with our life and with our voice. And as a church that believes in the perfect written word of God, And as a church that believes that God is still speaking to men and women today, it's true, it's only a part. It's true, it must be proven. And it's true, it must be pursued. So how about you? What is your part? What is God calling you to do? I think God calls people to stop doing this and stop doing that. And you hear the voice of God. Maybe not with your ears. It's louder than that. It's inside of you. You know God is saying, stop doing that. And you know God is saying, walk this way. Start doing this. Follow me. I believe God is always saying, trust me. Follow me. Pursue truth. I'm I'm coming to a conclusion here. And maybe, Deborah, you can help me there on the piano. I'd appreciate that. In Isaiah chapter 66, that's the great chapter there where God is declaring his grandeur, his eminence. He says, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. He's kind of mocking religious man saying, Where's the house that you build unto me? Where's the place of my rest? Then God says something that arrests my attention. The end of verse number two. He says, Unto you, unto him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Do you take God at his word? you tremble before the word that made the worlds? It's right here. Are you reading it? Are you listening to it? Are you realizing that God is not done with humanity? One clear word, John 3, ye must be born again. Have you been born again? I mean spiritually, physically, can't happen. But spiritually, have you been born again? 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. Say it with me. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Again, it's that written word and that word carried by the Spirit of God. The gospel simply is that Jesus Christ died. 
was buried and rose again for you and for me. So that you can live by the power of God, empowered by the grace of God to do wonders. But God uses his word to save you. Now this month, sober October, we're talking about witnessing. And I want you to see this. Verse number 8 through 11. Emily, we'll just read this together. Verse number 8, it says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. Now, it's not talking about the Bible in your mouth. And thy heart. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Be more specific. Verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's the word of God. Verse 11. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see the two working hand in hand. Verse number 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Repent, believe, receive, and declare salvation today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or come visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. We'll be back next week with another message from Graceway Baptist Church, right here on Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill.